Well, hello again. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Paddy Venner and I'm a life coach operating out of the UK. And um, I encourage you to listen to my podcast. I like to tackle a varying range of subjects and uh, sometimes they will be a little bit controversial and sometimes thought provoking, hopefully always helpful, though. And what I wanted to talk about today is really the thing that has been trending, has been so much on people's minds, um, certainly over the last while during the, the COVID-19 crisis. And it's almost like a, a parallel crisis, a crisis within a crisis, if you would. And that is the Black Lives Matter. Now, Black Lives Matter, hashtag BLM, hashtag Black Lives Matter, whatever you want to call it, um, it is very often met by people saying, well, all lives matter. Now, I want to speak to you as a person that was born and raised into a racist society in South Africa. Um, I was born under the apartheid regime. I was born into that. I was educated into the apartheid regime. I was educated into white supremacy. I was educated into believing that I was uh, superior. Our jokes in the playground and in the locker rooms at school were very often highly racist. And when I look back now, I shudder with shame to think of some of the, the terminology that I would use myself, even as a person that claimed to be a Christian, I I would say I let myself down quite dramatically, um, as well as my fellow citizens who were under the cosh of oppression continuously in South Africa. But you see, the thing that was different then was that it wasn't just a mindset of racism. It was completely institutional racism. It was systemic racism, but to the highest degree, to the extent that racism was legal. It was in the law. It was written into the administration, into the law, that it was perfectly acceptable um, to be racist. And in fact, people that, that sort of balked against that and railed against racism and protested against racism were very often put in prison and seen as, um, it was seen as an act of treason. And I think one of the most typical examples is um, Nelson Mandela, Nelson Rolichlachla Mandela, who was put in prison in 1964, to put it in its most simple terms, for telling the government that they were wrong. And so subsequently he found himself imprisoned. And when he was all, all, all that he was saying was that no one race should govern over any other race. He wasn't talking about black supremacy. He was just objecting to white supremacy that was in the system. Now, so when you hear a, a statement like Black Lives Matter, the question is, do they matter more than other lives? Well, in a normal world, no. But this isn't the case. This is not a normal world at the moment. It is a world that is riddled with systemic racism. And I would say that Black Lives Matter in the sense that the house that's on fire in your neighborhood matters at that point more than any other house in the neighborhood. All houses matter, but when the fire brigade comes along with their fire engine, they don't start dousing every house in the neighborhood. They start dousing the house that's on fire because while all lives, all houses are important, at that particular moment, that house matters because it's on fire. And even those that are, that are um, uh, protesting that Black Lives Matter, people holding up placards and so forth, um, black people themselves, that none of them are saying that their lives matter more than others. They're simply saying our lives are in danger. Our lives are under threat right now. 
and therefore we're asking for a little bit extra attention. We need the fire engine to come around to us and to help put out this fire of hatred, suspicion, and um, a paradigm that says that if there's something that's gone wrong and there's a black person involved, well, that's why it went wrong. Um, we immediately think if there's if a crime has been committed, very often our mind will immediately go to a black person. It must have been a black person that did it. Um, so in a normal world, no, black lives do not matter more than any others. But it, it, we don't live in that particular society right now. There is a house that is on fire and it needs attention. And we as white people, and I speak about myself here in particularly, the onus is on us to actually make a difference and to make a change. Systemic racism is something that is ingrained in our thinking. In other words, it's just there. And I've had to deal with that in myself. Um, and many other people have had to step up and say, you know what, I didn't even realize it was there, but it is. And once again, I, I refer back to my, my past as a South African, where I lived under the apartheid regime, where whites only signs were everywhere. You know, I would go to the, my school and I knew it was a whites only school. Um, I can't recall if there was a sign outside it that said so, but because the school was in what was called a white group area, yeah, you heard that correctly. Um, the, the the country was divided up into different group areas where like neighborhoods and only certain race groups could live in certain neighborhoods. So I lived in a white group area and therefore a school in a white group area would all, but by default be for white children only because people of other skin colors were not allowed there unless they were coming to work for the white people or they had a job in a shop that served the white people. And so systemic racism was all around. In the afternoons, I'd go down to the park and there was a sign at the play park down the road from me. There was a sign that made it very clear at the park and the amenities thereof. In other words, the toilets um, and, other, and, and the actual playground equipment was for the sole use of white people. Um, if you went to the train station, you looked for the bench that you were allowed to sit on as determined by your skin color and the different benches would actually say, you know, white, white person's bench, um, colored person's bench, black person's bench. As a matter of fact, they didn't even go so far as to give um, black people the dignity of having their own race mentioned. So it wasn't a case of a bench for black people. It was a bench for non-whites. Can you imagine being in a system where your whole racial identity Identity is carved out as a non-person. You're not celebrated for what you are. You are denoted and, and determined by what you're not. And so, well, I'm not white, so therefore what am I? And this, this would have caused massive um, questions in people's minds. Am I even a person? Do I even have um, a, the rights of a human being? And in South Africa, well, quite simply, in many cases, they did not. So systemic racism was actually ingrained in our thinking. And, and when the train arrived at the train station, and you had to check the, the, the signs on the coach. There were usually eight coaches. And if I remember correctly, the front four or five were whites only. 
um, and everybody else was in the the ones at the at the the back of the train. And all the whites coaches were first class, and all the blacks coaches were third class. I don't know what happened to second class, but uh, the we had nice soft seats in the first class, and in the third class there was metal seats. Apparently, I never I never went in there, um, and mainly standing room, and absolutely jam packed because. Um, the education system was such that black people couldn't you very often did not get jobs that could afford um, for them to buy cars and therefore they relied very heavily on the public transport and the public transport system was completely racially segregated and so systemic racism is when it's ingrained in who you are and I've come to realize that very often that that system or that, that way of thinking very much still exists and when I go back on trips to South Africa very often in conversations with older generation people even people of the same generation as myself um, you hear in their conversation how the systemic racism is just there where there's an automatic assumption that because a person has a, a black skin that they're not going to be as good at the job or, or, or are more likely to be the cause of the problem than a white person. Um, we had an incident where I remember one of the members of my family was um, taunted by a driver in the car behind them. That driver um, hooted at this member of my family and sort of gave them the middle finger out of the window. And when I related the story to some folk in South Africa, the first question that we were asked was, um, was, that, was that person white? And I looked at them and I said, who cares? The fact is they showed the middle finger to my son and that's not okay. Um, their skin color doesn't come into it. And the person retorted, yeah, well, it, 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 you must remember there's a difference in the education levels. I said, well, no, there actually isn't. Everybody has access now to exactly the same education levels. And what does matter is the condition of the person's heart that actually showed the middle finger. And by the way, it was a white person. And so... That is a systemic racism where it's almost assumed that the person doing wrong is going to be a person of a darker skin color than oneself. So apartheid still very much exists in, in the thinking. I'll often talk to people from South Africa and they will denote people once again by their race. But that's how we were raised you see, so they will say things like, oh, today I had a conversation with a black man. And, and I'll stop them and I'll say, you had a conversation with a man. Yeah, but he was black. Yes, but he was a man. And you conversed with him on the basis of what he knew because you were having a conversation about a common subject and um, his skin color didn't come into the conversation at any point. So why do you have to relate it to me as if it was something quite spectacular that you actually were able to um, have a conversation with a coherent person of another skin color? You see the systemic racism there again. Um, I know there's a retirement village where some of the residents of the retirement village in South Africa will actually refer to the staff by their skin color. Oh, some of the black staff came in today or one of the colored staff or one of the mixed race staff actually um, had a conversation with me. And I'm saying to them, you mean the staff? We don't have to denote people by their skin color. When we feel that we have to do that, there's an issue and there's a problem and there's something that I've had to address in my own thinking when it comes to that sort of thing. Racism that is ingrained is, 
that that'll manifest itself, for instance, if you're walking down the street alone and you're a white person and a black person is walking towards you in the other direction, do you have an immediate flash of fear of what might happen? Is this person going to attack me, mug me, rob me? Is something bad going to happen? Should I cross over the road at this point? When, in fact, you're just as likely to get mugged by the person of any skin color. And why do we automatically assume that because the person is black, there's something bad? That is about to happen when you take your child to school and you see that your 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 child's teacher is black is there for a split second a thinking that your child's not going to get the education that they should be getting is this going to be okay is my child going to understand this person listen if the person couldn't speak in the the language of that school then they wouldn't have been employed but it's a systemic thinking where automatically we assume that if a person has a different skin color to us, things are going to be a little bit different. It's like going to the doctor and discovering that your doctor is black. And is there even just a split second of thinking that makes you think, is this person qualified? Are they going to give me a proper diagnosis? Do they know what they're doing? Is there anybody else here that I can speak to? Is it not possible for me to speak to another doctor? If that flashes through your mind for a second, that is systemic racism. And it might not be born out of hatred. It might not be born out of malice. It might not be born out of um, anything that, that, that you can actually put your finger on. But it's there because something has been drilled into your consciousness that if the person has a different skin color to you, things are not quite what they might seem. You know, you're about to go through open heart surgery and just before they put you under the under the anesthetic, your surgeon steps up and says, hello, I'm performing the operation and that person is black. Is there an immediate thought that this is not going to go well and why? And put yourself in the position of that person, of the black person. They're fully well aware that you're thinking that. I know this because I work with black people and I have very candid, open um, cards on the table conversations just like that. And one of my colleagues um, helps me run a church here in Norwich, um, where I live, Eternity Church, and my associate pastor, he's Ghanaian and he lives in England. His family lives in England. Fabulous people, highly educated people, very hardworking business people. Him and his wife, they run a very, very good and very well-respected care home for the elderly. And they also take in dementia patients. And he will tell me that when uh, somebody comes to view the, the care home to see if they want to uh, you know, become a resident there or if they want to put their parents into the care home, and, um, and he is showing them around or his wife is showing them around the place, very often the person will actually defer to a white junior staff member in their presence and start asking them questions. Meanwhile, they're standing there, my friend and his wife, who are the owners of the business. They've created the business. They are the ones that can answer any question implicitly. And they don't get asked the question. A junior nurse or somebody on the cooking staff might get asked a question about the running of the place because there's an automatic assumption that because these people are black, they don't really know what they're doing. And some people have not put their, their parents in the home simply because the people running it were black. And in fact, my friend has even had people say to him, who do you work for? In other words, I can't possibly fathom 
a, a scenario where a black person can actually be running a care home in England. And so there's got to be somebody else. There has to be somebody higher up the chain. That is systemic racism and that is incredibly hurtful. And can you imagine the frustration of a black person who is educated, they've got everything that they need to be able to run their profession to the highest ability and, and with great acumen, uh, only to be continuously doubted at ev on every step of the way. Every step of the way, they, they're being doubted, they're being second-guessed, whereas if they were white, they would not be second-guessed and people would automatically trust their opinion. I remember um, public speaker Paul Scanlon, Paul Scanlon, a little while ago um, in the UK, he was saying that it's as if white people have got an invisible bag of tools that they're born with. It's on their back and an invisible supply of tools that they can use for anything just to get through life. Now, that might not be um, applicable to every white person, and we should not, as white people, feel guilty for being white people. We are who we are. But we can, however, change the way we think. And if we can just get to the point of acknowledging that we have not had to ever face circumstances and situations that black people have had to face, then I think we're starting to realize that black lives do matter. So, for instance, I have never been followed around a shop. Um, my wife has, but that, that, that's just coincidental. But a friend of mine, a black friend of mine, has actually said, and I use, and I'll tell you that he's black for the purposes of the story, um, he tells me of how his daughter actually became anxious and started having anxiety attacks because his teenage daughter would get followed around shops. Every time she went to a shop in England, the security guard would follow her around. And she's a highly educated, um, you know, very intelligent young lady at university. She's not going to the shop to steal. She's going there to buy food. But no, the white people were not being followed around. When my sons have gone out with their friends, I have never for one second ever considered their security, their safety, when they were out as teenagers, walking up and down the streets with their friends, going to the park. Not once did I ever think to myself, I wonder if they'll come, uh, come home tonight. I wonder if they'll survive this. It was never even a question. Of course they will. But I've come to realize that for a lot of black parents, that is not the case especially in America, where we see a lot of pro-racial profiling. We certainly do see it here in the UK, um, where more more black people will be pulled aside for strip for, for search and for stop and search. I know you say strip and search, good heavens, no, stop and search. Um, that sort of thing. More black drivers are pulled over in cars. We've had situations even recently where prominent um, black members of society who have afforded themselves a nice car have been pulled over by the police because it was assumed that, that they'd got their, that car through some underhand means because um, they couldn't possibly have owned it by themselves. And so it's that undercurrent that we as white people will never fully understand. Um, I was reading an, article, an American article where they were saying that some black people, when they apply for jobs, actually adopt a white name because if your name is Hispanic or your name is um, clearly African-American, you will probably not get called for an interview. And uh, they, they've proven that to be the case, that there's an automatic systemic um, prejudice against people with certain names that denote them as being members of a certain sector of society or a certain race group, a certain cultural group. We should all be proud of our culture. I'm very proud of my culture. I've, I've learned a huge amount through coming through a, 
a, a white supremacist um, background um, where I was raised and educated in that way. And thank God I have, um, by the grace of God, been healed of that thinking completely. And that is no, the, I hope there are no longer any traits of that in the way I behave, in the way I think. But if we can all get ourselves to the point where we realize that every one of us is equal, we all are human beings, just that some of us have got slightly darker skin tones than others, then I think we're going to start to heal this world. You know, we can be the generation that stops this. And the solution is not that hard. The solution, it is, it's a practical solution. It's actually a biblical solution as well that says we should esteem every person as higher than ourselves. The person that you think of the least or that you think the least of can, should be the person that we esteem the most because every person is on a, their life's journey. Every person is where they are for a reason. Every person is in, in the situation that they're in right now for a reason. I have visited prisoners and every prisoner sitting in that prison cell is there for a reason. Something has happened in their earlier years that has made their choices possible, that made the bad choices that they made easier to make. Every person is on life's journey. Every person is, is wanting to get somewhere, is wanting to achieve something. And if we esteem other people as higher than ourselves, it actually changes the way we behave because where your thoughts go, your body will follow. So if you, we can change our thinking towards one another, our actions will change as well. Black lives do matter. Yes, all lives do matter, but right now there's a house that's on fire. Black lives need to be acknowledged as being as valuable as any other life. It's having a genuine desire for the well-being of another person and to try to see the world through their eyes. I think that's been one of my biggest steps forward that I've made as a life coach and as a pastor as well, is actually saying, I need to see the people that I work with, the people that I help, that I coach and that I minister to. I need to see them through a different perspective, but at the same time, I need to see the world through their eyes. What is a day like in their life? What is life like in their house? What is life like being them? Um, have I become smug and comfortable in who I am uh, to, the, uh, to the complete detriment of others? Am I allowing myself to be comfortable when somebody is uncomfortable and I should, then there's something that I can do about it by encouraging them, by advising them, by lending a helping hand. And I'm not talking about a handout, I'm talking about a hand up. There's a difference between a handout and a hand up. And so I guess my message today is that we can be part of the solution. You are the person you've been waiting for. Stop waiting for somebody else to make the difference. Stop waiting for a government official to make the difference. Stop waiting for a new law, a new regulation, and a new policy. No, no, make a difference. Start being the difference today. Decide today that you're going to change the way you think about people with other skin.